dusk falls heavy in the midst of the storm. The clouds mimic the tent of midnight, the sheets of rain turning the world into a beautiful but lonely blur. The cold rain has already soaked you to the bone. Your clothes cling to you as if desperate to find a warmth that is not there. The chill pricks at your numbness, but you push forward. There must be an inn or a pub somewhere. You call out to your lost horse. Spooked by the thunder and the lightning, he has left you alone in the storm. You're worried he might be hurt. Limerick, you call over the winds. Limerick, here boy. You hold your hands to your brow, squinting through the rain. Nothing. The only thing that can be seen are the shades of gray and the dark waters of the nearby lake. You call out to Limerick once more, and this time, you hear hooves upon the muddy trail. Limerick! Limerick, come here, boy! You put two fingers to your lips and blow a sharp whistle into the air. The galloping sound draws closer. Then, you see him. The figure of a solid black horse appears in the rain. Maybe it is the trick of the sudden lightning, but his long mane appears bright blue. His hide is as smooth and sleek as a seal's. He is much too large to be Limerick. You can tell even from a distance. He neighs and trots closer to you. Poor thing is probably frightened too. He probably belongs to someone in the village. You beckon the creature to you, holding out your hand to him as you squint through the storm. The horse stops inches away from you. He rests his muzzle against your palm. You stroke his head. That's a good boy. Are you lost out here too? You pull an apple from your rain-soaked satchel and offer it to him. The horse begins to crunch on it, thankfully. Maybe we can help each other. Can you get me to town, boy? Maybe your owner is there. Probably worried sick about you. The horse finishes the apple and bows as if accepting your offer. You've never seen anything like it. All right, let's get out of the storm. You mount him with ease despite his vast size. You ride forward. It should take no time at all to get to the village now. You will look for Limerick on the way. You will venture back out as soon as the storm passes if you cannot find him. Hopefully he's alright. Worry builds up in your chest. The horse is fast and powerful. He would put even a stallion to shame. You cling to him as he bounds down the trail. Your heart lightens as you see the lights of a town in the distance. Soon you will be safe and out of the storm. The horse begins to trot faster. You hang onto his mane to keep your balance. That's when you see something strange. Looking down, you find the horse's mane is in fact blue, 
a tangle of seaweed and kelp scattered among it. You try to remove a piece of the seaweed, only to find it is attached to the beast's head. The horse gallops faster. No, you whisper to yourself. No, 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 this wasn't possible. You've heard tales of the Kelpie, but they were just that. Tales, silly stories told to scare children. This couldn't be. Whoa, boy, whoa. You attempt to slow the horse down. He gallops faster. Not only that, he has turned away from the village now. He heads instead towards the lake, the dark, angry lake. Your heart is racing faster than the Kelpie can run. You are feet away from the lake now. If you do not do something soon, you will die. So you jump, throwing yourself from the Kelpie's back. Or rather, you try. When you jump, your body does leave the beast. Mostly, your hands stay glued to the kelpie. The harder you pull, the more they stick, the seaweed from its mane wrapping around your wrists. The kelpie is moving so fast now that the world is a blur. You scream and fight against the beast, but it is no use. You are stuck. Your body is dragged across the rough ground, bruises and cuts painted across your legs. Then... You are both by the lake. It churns and sputters against the wind, rain making it spill over onto the land. You scream, praying for mercy. The kelpie plunges you both into freezing darkness. You struggle helplessly, the light above fading as you sink deeper and deeper beneath the lake. And when you can hold your breath no longer, water fills your lungs, cold and cruel as the monster you are bound to. It burns and you panic as the life begins to leave you. Then you grow still, numb. You're tired, so very tired. That's right. A voice whispers through the murky waters. The Kelpie's glowing eyes are all you can see in the darkness of the lake. It's alright. This is about to end. Sleep. Sleep. And dream of water. Greetings from the Shadow World, and welcome to Humble Hauntings, where ghost enthusiasts and lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I am your host, MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker, and today we are diving into one of the most mysterious and powerful elements of nature, water. More specifically, we will take a look at the supernatural beings that rose up from the water's depths and the spirits of those who call it their final resting place.
but more wonderful than the lore of old men and the lore of books is the secret lore of ocean. Blue, green, gray, white or black, smooth, ruffled or mountainous, that ocean is not silent. All my days have I watched it and listened to it, and I know it well. At first it told me only the plain little tales of calm beaches and near ports. But with the years, it grew more friendly and spoke of other things, of things more strange and more distant in space and in time. Sometimes, at twilight, the gray vapors of the horizon have parted to grant me glimpses of the ways beyond. And sometimes, at night, the deep waters of the sea have grown clear and phosphorescent to grant me glimpses of the ways beneath. And these glimpses have been as often of the ways that were and the ways that might be as of the ways that are. For the ocean is more ancient than the mountains and freighted with the memories and the dreams of time. This quote from H.P. Lovecraft comes from his tale, The White Ship, a horror story that revolves around a lighthouse keeper who journeys the ocean with a mysterious stranger. The stranger steers a mystical white ship that appears only when the moon is full. Their adventures and discoveries of strange islands ultimately comes to a bitter end. But the character of the lighthouse keeper very much reflects the curiosity that humans are bound to. We always want to know more, to unveil that which is mysterious to us, to shed a light on the secret of darkness. And what was ever more mysterious and more secretive than water? During my research, I felt water was the perfect start to the Spirits of the Elements series. Because after all, there is so much we still do not know of what it conceals beneath the surface. And what is more haunting than something we do not know or cannot fully understand? Humans find comfort in knowing, of being confident that we have an understanding of the world around us. And when we don't, when there are corners of this earth that still elude us, that feeling of uncertainty eats away at us, leaving room for the imagination to run wild. As a result, some of the most fascinating mythical beasts and unsettling ghost stories have been brought to the surface, resting on the waves of our fears. Some are pleasant enough tales, Stories of beautiful women with fish tails, lovely nymphs that sing and dance along rivers and lakes, and sprites that laugh and play amongst the ripples of the water's surface. These are all pleasant enough, and have become fairy tale staples for sure. But many of these creatures tend to be as dark as the ocean's depths themselves. The planet Earth is roughly 71% water, 
more than 90% of that being the ocean or salt water. And yet, with water being such a big part of our planet, we know more about the surface of Mars and the moon than the depths of our own oceans. Left unmapped and unobserved for most of our history, even now it's no surprise that some of the most unsettling creatures of legend were birthed from the mysteries of the deep and have left people throughout history wondering what exactly lies beneath the surface. In some tales, the Vadyanoi of Slavic folklore is the male equivalent of a siren, luring unwed women and young children to their deaths within the lakes and rivers they call home, after which the drowned become their dinner. But the most well-known stories of the Vadyanoi depict the creature not handsome at all, but having the body of a naked old man and a head that is frog-like in nature, with webbed hands and feet. The Vodinoi is covered by black scales, green algae clinging to them, the color of the creature's long hair and beard. Set deep in its amphibian face are a pair of eyes that burn like red-hot coals. He is called Grandfather, by locals, or forefather, and is believed to be the cause of local drownings. The Vodinoi can be a very angry creature, with a foul temper. He not only lures people and animals to a watery grave, but can break down dams and destroy water mills. They are also known to drag humans down into their underwater dwellings to serve them as slaves for eternity. To appease him, many a fisherman, miller, and even beekeeper will leave offerings, lest they incite his wrath. Another creature that is also known for its love of drowning is another being from Slavic lore, the Rizulka. Tales like that of the Rizulka are similar to that of the darker mermaid stories and the legends of the beautiful sirens who would lure sailors to their doom with their hypnotic melodies. Rizulkas were spirits of both water and death. It was said that a Rizulka could never fully leave the water which she was bound to, having to at least be partially submerged at all times. Though some stories say there were land-dwelling Rizulka who could climb trees or sit on docks, combing their long, flowing hair. Some even joined their kind in the fields where they would dance amongst one another. The appearance of the Rizulka was region-specific and very depending on who was telling the tale. In Ukraine, they were said to appear as naked maidens, beautiful and delicate while other places like Russia describe them as large-breasted, Amazon-like women. In Poland, 
The Rizolka that lived near the water were young and fair-haired in appearance, while certain forest-dwelling Rizolka were more mature and dark of hair. They believed, however, that if seen up close, the Rizolka's face would begin to distort and their hair would turn green. Whatever the legend, Rizolkas were both feared and respected for their beauty and their power. Deadly in nature, they would lure their victims into the water to drown them, usually by singing or seducing them. Their favorite prey were men, mesmerized by their beauty and unable to resist their advances. Once their victim entered the waters, they would become entangled within her long hair. She would drag them beneath the surface, her body becoming so slippery that there was no hope of holding on to her for salvation. As tragic as these drownings were, the way Rizoka came to be was equally as horrid and unsettling. Rizolkas were the undead spirits of women who had drowned or died near water. Usually, these deaths were suicides. Women desperate to escape an abusive marriage or jilted by their lovers. But sometimes, the violent murder of a young woman was what birthed the malicious spirits. Whether drowned due to an unwanted pregnancy or unrequited love, the poor souls of these women rose to become spirits of death and vengeance. Once this creature came into being, the only way to rid yourself of one was to keep it out of the water until its hair dried, or if you were brave and noble, you could avenge her death and her soul would pass on, finally resting in peace. Another water specter who has been equally feared was the Kelpie. A creature of Celtic lore, the Kelpie appeared as a large horse, usually described as having a solid black hide that was similar to seal skin, with a long blue mane that constantly dripped water. Kelpies were shape-shifting creatures who could assume the shape of men. In some legends, there were female Kelpies who much like sirens and rizolkas, appeared as beautiful women, luring men to their doom. Most stories, however, depict Kelpies as males, assuming the form of a human man, most times wizened and wild. They could be distinguished from a regular human by the kelp and seaweed that sprouted along with their hair. Another telltale sign that you were in the presence of a Kelpie was by their feet, for some tales state that their feet would remain as hooves in human form. But whatever legend, all Kelpie stories agree on one thing. They loved drowning humans. A common legend of the Kelpie was that of a group of children who encountered what they believed to be a horse. All the children clambered onto the beast's back, but one, a small boy, the boy did reach out to pet the horse, but when he did, his hand became stuck to the creature's hide. The Kelpie immediately began to gallop towards the nearby lake, 
All the children stuck to the seal-like black hide. In order to free himself, the small boy, now being dragged along with the rest of the children, took out his knife with his free hand and cut away the fingers that bound him to the beast. Because of this, the boy was spared. But the rest of the children were not so fortunate. The Kelpie carried them down into the water's depths, where they all drowned. Later on, only bits of their entrails left any proof of their terrible fate. There have always been legends of mythical beasts rising up from the waters, but they aren't the only thing that haunts the worlds of ocean, river, and lake. Humans have a knack of sticking around after death. At least we believe they do. And this is especially true if a person had a traumatic or painful passing. They leave an imprint of themselves behind, a spiritual presence to remind us of their fate. Water may have taken their lives, but they refuse to let it wash away their memory. The Great Galveston Hurricane, or as it was known locally, the Great Storm of 1900, was one of the most devastating natural disasters in U.S. history. The storm itself left over 8,000 dead and 10,000 without a home. When something so tragic and destructive occurs, especially if it steals the lives away from people, it's enough to leave fingerprints, so to speak. Ghostly traces of those that left this world too soon. So it should be no surprise that Galveston, Texas is teeming with spiritual activity. After all, the water may have stolen the victims' lives, but it did not take away their voices. Before the Great Storm, several orphanages were located on Galveston Island, one being St. Mary's Orphan Asylum. On the night of the storm in question, the nuns of St. Mary's gathered their charges to the newest girls' dormitory, for the boys' dormitory had already succumbed to the storm. Singing Queen of the Waves and other hymns to distract the children from the hurricane, the sisters tethered themselves to the children with small bits of rope and clothesline. This was in the hopes that if something should happen, the nuns could keep the orphans together and safe. The irony of their tale is tragic. For you see, as the storm worsened, the building began to collapse. Sister Catherine, one of St. Mary's nuns held the two smallest children in her arms, promising not to let go. But soon after they had finished tying themselves to the children, the girls' dormitory caved in, and the force of it sucked the entire inhabitants of the orphan asylum underwater. The weight of their habits and coarse dresses beneath the water drove the nuns deeper into its depths. Instead of saving the children, the rope that bound them together made it impossible for the children to stay above the surface. Instead of saving them, 
the efforts only cause them to perish together. In the days that followed the aftermath of the great storm, only three boys survived from St. Mary's, found by rescuers as they clung to a tree for dear life. The bodies of the nuns soon surfaced, most half buried in the sand. The tiny, lifeless bodies of the children they fought to save, still tethered to them by small pieces of rope. And Sister Catherine, even in death, she kept her promise. For the two smallest children were still wrapped tightly in her devoted embrace. She had vowed not to let them go or leave them. And she didn't. Right up until the bitter end. Their bodies, like most of the storm's victims, were buried where they were found. But this is not where the story ends. For you see, even in death, children will be children. The land that St. Mary's once stood on is not an empty lot or a landmark. It is, in fact, a Walmart, a shopping center selling food, clothes, electronics, and toys. It is the toy aisle specifically that seems to be brimming with paranormal activity. After all, the spirits that now wander the market were only kids. Employees have reported hearing children running down the aisles and laughing, only to find that there's no one there when they check the area. Toys are said to be moved or misplaced, and some toy inventory vanishes completely. Perhaps the most heartbreaking anomaly is the sound of a small child crying, frightened, and calling out for their mother. These are all common occurrences at the supermarket and have become part of everyday life. But the former property of St. Mary's isn't the only local spot the children frequent. As I stated before, due to the sheer amount of bodies and lack of resources, most corpses were buried where they were found. Because of this, the final resting place of St. Mary's residence resides underneath what is now a popular and quite haunted hotel. In fact, you may have heard of it before. It's called Hotel Galvez. Hotel Galvez has played host to many from beyond the grave, and sightings of St. Mary's ghost children have been reported since its construction. Built over a decade after the Great Storm of 1900, employees and visitors at the hotel have often reported strange noises, flashing lights, and the sound of laughter in children at play. One popular specter is a young girl from St. Mary's playing across the hotel grounds with her favorite ball. On one occasion, she was noticed by construction workers who were remodeling the hotel basement. After seeing the girl in the basement more than a few times, one of the workers called the front desk to complain. Anytime the workers tried to tell the little girl it wasn't safe to play down there, she ran off. It was almost like she vanished. But after speaking with the receptionist, the workers came to an unnerving discovery. There was no little girl staying at the hotel at all. The little orphan girl of St. Mary's wasn't the only spirit at Hotel Galvez, and certainly not the only one whose fate was forged by water.
One of the most haunted places inside Hotel Gaves is room number 501, the room of the lovelorn lady. The tale of the lovelorn lady starts simple enough. A young woman by the name of Audra was staying in room number 501, awaiting the return of her lover, a sailor who was out at sea. But on his way back to her, a horrible storm raged off the coast of Florida, and the sailor's ship sunk deep beneath the ocean. Broken-hearted and distraught, Audra hung herself in room 501 from the turrets. But believe it or not, the story becomes even more tragic. The sailor, surviving the wreck, returns to the hotel to his beloved, only to find that in a horrible twist of fate, his lady love has perished. But this hotel guest never truly checked out. People who have visited the hotel say that her presence can be felt on the entire fifth floor. Plates have smashed themselves. Doors and bathroom stalls have shook violently. Lights have flickered and the sounds of heavy breathing and a woman sobbing have been experienced, especially in or around room 501. Photographers have even captured partial ghostly silhouettes while taking pictures on the fifth floor. But whatever the occurrence, it seems that, much like the ocean's rage that led her to her doom, Audra, the lovelorn lady, will not and cannot rest easy. Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings. Stick around after this word from our sponsors to learn about Okiku, the woman who met her fate at the bottom of a well. If you're a fan of horror movies, then it is safe to assume that you have watched or at least heard of The Ring. A movie involving a tape that leads you to your death seven days after watching it. And Samara, the angry spirit of a little girl who was murdered by her adopted mother and thrown down a well to die. This story, based off the book Ring by Koji Suzuki, isn't the first story involving ghosts and wells. Though a man-made construct, wells have been a popular topic for stories of the supernatural. One of the oldest stories is that of Okiku, in the tale Bancho Sarayashiki, or The Dish House of Bancho. The story goes that there was once a beautiful servant by the name of Okiku, who served the family of Samurai Oyama Tesan. Tassan desired to have Okiku as his lover, but she would often refuse his advances. So one day, he tricked her by hiding one of ten precious Delft plates that were the pride of his family. As she had often been charged with polishing them, Tassan made Okiku believe that she had lost one of the plates. The penalty for such a mistake was death. 
In a panic, Okiku counted and recounted the plates a hundred times, each time only coming up with nine in total. She ran to Tessan in tears, and he told her that despite this crime, he was willing to save her, if she agreed to be his lover at last. But Okiku refused. She did not love Tessan, and despite her dire situation, she would not give in to him. It was against her principles. Tessan became enraged by this. So sure that his clever trick would grant him the object of his desire. Consumed by his anger, he took Okiku and threw her down the castle's well. For some, that would be the end of the story. But not for Okiku, and certainly not for Tessan. For you see, Okiku would not rest easy with this betrayal and the violent nature of her death. From the very night she died, the samurai Tessan was plagued by her ghost, which would follow him, counting to nine, over and over, as she had counted the plates in life. Each time, after she reached nine, the spirit of Okiku would let out a blood-curdling scream. Each night, the ghost of Okiku would rise from the well to torment her killer, counting endlessly. One day, an exorcist came to the home of Tessan, and when he witnessed the count for himself, he shouted ten before the ghost could scream. Believing that the tenth plate was finally found, and her name cleared, Okiku haunted the samurai no more, finally able to rest in peace. Water, an element as mysterious to us as the spirit world. For as much as we've discovered about its nature, there's still so much more that it conceals. It's no surprise that the stories of strange creatures and spirits are as boundless as the seas and as seemingly endless as the darkest depths of the ocean. Water births life, and it also takes it away. It is a powerful force of nature that is both feared and respected by many. Humans tell stories. That is our nature. We dream, we wonder, and from our curiosity, imagination takes hold and new tales are born. There will always be stories about water, about the oceans, rivers, and lakes. Stories of storms, floods, and tsunamis. As long as we are on this planet, and as long as water covers this mysterious world, the mythological creatures and ghostly apparitions drawn up from its depths will live on, flowing through our past, our present, and our future. Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings, a show where the lovers of the unknown will always have a home. If you like this episode, please feel free to leave a review, subscribe, or even share it with friends and loved ones. There's always room for one more in this humble family, and when it comes to hauntings, the more, 
the merrier. But until next time, Spookables, remember, home is where the haunt is.